Conscious Living Show with your hosts Jan and Bill Moore. We'll take a moment to thank John Fogarty for that song Mystic Highway that we opened the show with. That is off John's latest album, Wrote a Song for Everyone. Fourteen great guest artists and a great album overall. Thank you again to John Fogarty for that opening. And we hope you'll enjoy today's show and all of our shows because our intention is that they will empower you to live with power, passion, and purpose and manifest happiness and prosperity, harmony and well-being. We'll be interviewing expert guests on conscious evolution, personal empowerment, conscious business, natural health, and how to create a conscious lifestyle, and many other interesting topics. So without further ado, over to my lovely wife, Jan. Thank you, Bill, and hello, everyone. This is Jan Moore speaking here, and I'd like to thank you for listening to The Conscious Living Show. Today, our special guest is Kristen Price, and we're going to be talking about whether vulnerability is a weakness. Kristen is a professional life coach, holistic nutritionist, and thought leader. After learning how to hustle, achieve, and perform, she left the corporate world to find a deeper and more heart-based way of being in life. She offers private one-on-one coaching for high achievers who have figured out the game of success and are now seeking to nourish connection with themselves, others, and a cause bigger than themselves. Clients gain clarity on who they are, remove the blocks that are keeping them lonely, create deeper connections, and experience greater joy, presence, and freedom. Her ideas have been featured on Live Strong, Elephant Journal, Daily Hive, and Empower Her, as in Empower Her. (laughs) And she speaks on the topics of vulnerability, holistic health, and connection. In her spare time, she enjoys foraging for local foods with her partner, making creative meals in the kitchen, and jumping through waves at the beach. Well, that sounds a great deal of fun, Kristen, and I'm really pleased to welcome you to the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Janet. It's an absolute pleasure, and um, as we both left the corporate world, I think we've got a lot in in common there, and uh, yeah, it's interesting um that you should be focused on focusing on high achievers because very often high achievers have a life that's quite out of balance wouldn't you say mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so, yeah so let, let's start by talking about the topic of connection that you mentioned how important do you believe that is today you know, I think it's so important. And it was just what you said there, you know, we in the corporate world and even in the world that we live in, particularly in North America, um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of busyness. There's um, multitasking. There's always something to do. And I think what that prevents is connection. So there's not much stillness in our lives. There's not much time to just sit and be and find peace. There's always something for us to think about. And when we're constantly in our heads, it distracts us from being in the present moment, which is the place that we find connection. And additionally, I mean, oh, go ahead. No, no, carry on. Well, I was just thinking about the, even in the online world, you know, we're so connected on, you know, text messages and Facebook and Twitter and all the different social medias. And so we're increasingly connected in our world but decreasingly actually in those face-to-face conversations, sitting and being present with people. Oh, yeah, there's so much distraction now, isn't there? And how many people do you see sitting in a restaurant where they're paying no attention to the other people at the table? They're just engrossed in what's going on on the smartphone. Yeah, exactly. And I'm totally guilty of this too, but like taking pictures of food and, you know, being like, oh, I'm going to talk about this. And this is what I'm going to say about this time I spent with my friends instead of actually just being with your friends or your partner or whoever in that moment. Yeah, that's so true. And interesting that it's a conversation I've been having recently with a a dear friend of mine who we we, we speak every week. She lives in Wales, actually. So it's uh, quite a juggle in terms of time zones. But um, one of the things that I've got caught up in, and I think this is the same for, for most people today, especially when you've been in that corporate environment, is there is complete emphasis 
on doing you know it's if you want to achieve anything then it's all about action 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 and um doesn't matter what kind of action just take action and i've realized from my studies of personality types and 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 also just the the more spiritual and conscious approach to life is that we have to to spend time on being not just doing and that's where i think the balance has been lost um and therefore when you're not being you're not connecting Mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful distinction that you just that you just said that noticing who we are when we're doing things and how we place so much emphasis and importance on the things we can do, like how much revenue we can generate or how many things we've done in a day or what we've accomplished and versus and then that ultimate look of like who are we being while we're doing that? Are we being stressed, overworked, overwhelmed, tired, that heavy feeling? Or who are, or are we experiencing life from play, from joy, from ease, from presence, and the being that's associated that can have nothing to do with the doing? Like you can, you can do whatever, but who are you being about it? That actually yes, impacts whether or not you can connect with people. Yeah, and I think the um, certainly from being in corporate and actually coming out of corporate and really discovering the things that I was really here to do I think when you're really immersed in what you do because you enjoy it so much um, that again although it's a great thing to be loving what you do um, I find I can still get so caught up in that that I don't uh, I don't um, set aside enough time to do the you know, the personal stuff, the meditation, the contemplation, and just going out and doing nothing. I mean, doing nothing is great, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It gives you space to really, you know, contemplate, meditate, um, really get into that inner self rather than the exterior busy self that um, tends to dominate so much. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's even a further distinction we can bring there with who we're being. We can be joy. We can be present regardless of what we're doing. So I think we often think about, oh, for me to get back to being, I have to go and sit and meditate or I have to take the whole day off or I have to clear all this space. And we forget that who we're being can be that way regardless of what we're doing. Does that make sense? Mm. Yes, yes, completely. Um, so, what kind of problems do you do you come up, come across um, in the clients that you work with, the high achievers? What are the things that they are really struggling with? It's it's the I don't have enough time. It's one of the biggest things I hear, um, and it's sort of you've got this drive and this passion to be doing something but there's never enough time for yourself. There's never enough time to take a lunch break or, you know, there's perhaps poor boundaries around who can come and talk to you or when you answer the phone, you know. So as soon as someone texts you, you have to text them back or you have to call them back or whatever it is. And so I think the biggest obstacle that people come into is actually creating this, like there's um, a struggle with how much time they have and how much they're doing in order to achieve something Um, And I think that there's sort of a common cultural story as well that you have to hustle to be successful. So you have to do more, do more in order to be successful. And then it kind of gets in this hamster wheel where it's difficult to get off. And do you find that that's a bigger challenge for women than – because I've always felt that, um, you know, even with – the feminist movement. I mean, I was going into work in the 70s when the feminist movement was really taking off. And it, lots of um, books are being written about, you know, how a woman can have it all. But actually what was happening was they were not only continuing their traditional role, but they were also taking on what was previously the male role. And so not only were they still doing the nurturing role, the homekeeping role, they were also doing the um, executive type role with all the demands that that 
that puts upon people. And, you know, the I, I've been in uh, senior corporate positions in my IT career days, and the women that were in those higher positions, it always seemed like they had to do more than the men in order to be recognized. Do you find that still a problem with women in those positions? Yeah, you know, I think that's a really um, complex discussion. And what I see um, is that there's definitely been a culture where women have to prove themselves. And, I mean, we have stats and statistics, and I can't recall them off the top of my head right now, about the wage inequity between men and women. So there's definitely still that that gap that I think a lot of women been, yeah, I have to work harder than than a male counterpart in order to achieve that position. Um, and that there is still gender dynamics in the workplace that uh, influence how women approach their work. Um, yeah, it's a, I think it's a really uh, complex subject matter when we talk about gender dynamics and workplace relations and then like, what our cultural stories are, but also what our personal stories are about ourselves, about whether or not we have to do that. So do we have to, you know, lean in or how do we feel about ourselves and our own personal stories about how we be successful so do we look at our own how we you know for me I know that I love to perform I want I want to be the best I want to be competitive and get you know never make a mistake and always do things amazingly and that for me actually comes from a defensive place because I'm trying to prove myself and so while I may succeed in getting the whatever position or whatever I'm I'm going after, it's at it's not coming from it's coming from a place of doing rather than being. And while some women it may naturally happen that they achieve these high roles and it comes from a place of being. And then there's that larger social perspective of like, okay, well women are, you know, definitely have wage inequity. We have to work harder to get where um to get to the same position. So yeah, it's a I don't know if I'm uh, able to speak about those larger roles, I don't feel like I have enough information on that or have studied that enough, that piece of it. Okay. And I think what you were saying, and it, it leads very nicely into the next question, which is about really getting into the topic of vulnerability, which is what the show is focused on, in that I think there's an element of that behavior or that need to almost overperforming women because of a feeling of vulnerability of um, needing to prove themselves um, to overcome perhaps some insecurities and self-confidence issues so I'm going to get straight on to the next question which is what got you interested in the topic of vulnerability yeah so I there is a point in my life where I'm on the outside, I had everything going on for me. I had the condo, I had the great job, I was traveling, I had this great group of friends. And it was almost this experience of looking at my life through this lens and it, and there being a disconnect between my reality and what people were seeing. And it was really lonely for me because I didn't feel like anyone actually got who I was. And so I began down the road of self-development and um, did some life coaching. I was studying Brene Brown, um, who's uh, one of the leading researchers on this topic. And what I came to realize was I had one of the ways that I protected myself was by putting up this wall in front of me to make me look perfect so that nobody would see that I was vulnerable inside or nobody would see any what I perceived as weaknesses with myself. So, no, I'm independent, I'm strong, I can do it all, I can achieve whatever I want to achieve. But inside, I was really lonely, craving help, and running into the limit of what I could do by myself and how far I could go just by myself and, and reaching that edge of being like, wow, I need, I need help, but I don't know how to ask for it. And, and it's, was there also an element of... Um 
resistance to asking for help because I know that was something that I experienced as well, very similar um, feelings to what you're describing. And it's like, well, if I ask for help, I'm actually admitting that I'm not self-sufficient, that I'm not that perfect person Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to project to the world. Yeah, totally. And it's like, oh, I asked for help. It means I can't do it. I don't want you Mm -hmm. to think that I can't do it because I can. I think part of that asking for help, you know, um, there's different edges that people have. So maybe it's easy to ask for help, like cooking in the kitchen or like with laundry or, you know, something like that. But when it comes to maybe in the workplace, asking for help on a major project because you're swamped, you've just got something else that's come on your plate and phone's ringing off the hook. Well, that's where it may be more difficult to say like, hey guys, I need some assistance because I don't want to work 20 hours today. Mm. Uh, and or that's where it starts, perhaps, you know, from, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, perhaps admitting that you don't have a skill that's needed at the time. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. that, the two sides of the coin, isn't there? I need help because I'm overloaded and I'm overwhelmed. And there's also, well, I don't really know how to do this. And yet I feel as though I should know how to do this. So that's kind of admitting um, uh an incapacity for something yeah it's like we have these expectations on ourselves that we need to know everything and it's so funny when you actually like think about it because we're always learning we're always evolving there's always something for us to learn but I expected myself to be able to know everything even if it was something I'd never done before I'd never been trained in I should definitely know how to do it and I should definitely know how to do it perfectly (laughs) which is really tough setup. Absolutely. And and I think the people who are high achievers anyway, they do push their comfort zone. I know from, from experience, um, when I, I, I always went into jobs that were a stretch for me. And the first few months, it was a bit of a nightmare because it's like, God, I'm in this job and I'm supposed to know what I'm doing and I'm still trying to find my way around. And it was really tough sometimes, especially when you're in a management role and a leadership role because you've not only got to be able to do the things yourself in a new environment, you've got to lead your team and actually give them the confidence that you know what you're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's similar to um, the imposter syndrome, which I don't know if you've heard about, but basically um, I think it was a stat was about 70% of people feel that they're not actually capable of the work that they're doing. Yeah. (laughs) They're not good enough or they fear they're going to fail or mess up or make a huge mistake. And, um, and so that's a really common experience for people in leadership positions and then combined with not wanting to be vulnerable. It just makes this whirlpool of thoughts and, and, and internal analysis and constantly questioning, you know, how can I do this? And then taking on more and feeling the overwhelm and exhaustion. Mm, and I mean, the stress that's involved in that situation is, is really um, a huge risk actually to the, to their health as well. You know, the, you've got the psychological issues going on, but the effect of stress on the body as well is quite significant. So it sounds like you've got to a point of that, a level of of stress in terms of what you were doing. Was there a particular breakthrough moment for you? Um, so can you repeat the last part of the question? I had a little bit of a hiccup in the connection. Yeah. Was there a particular breakthrough moment for you, given that you got into that state of feeling, you know, vulnerable, stressed and so on in that corporate role? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There was this place where I realized that uh, I held vulnerability as weakness. So for me, vulnerability had uh, would mean like admitting that I didn't know how to do something or that I made a mistake or that I didn't feel good enough to do whatever it was. And I realized I held that as meaning I was weak. And when I realized that, and I was able to actually look at vulnerability and take it away from being either weak or strong, I think we make like, oh, independence and doing it all is really strong and vulnerability means we're weak. And when I removed it from that scale and just looked at it as 
you know, hey, what does vulnerability actually bring to my life? And didn't make it mean it was weak or strong. That was a huge breakthrough point for me because now I could be vulnerable and it didn't mean I was weak. Yeah, I think one of the problems that we're up against is that, and I think the school system has a lot to to blame for this, is that we're programmed to think we've got to be good at everything. You know, the the concept, mm-hmm. particularly I think in the American system, is you know the student has to get straight A's in everything, and this is really going against the whole concept of having specific talents and gifts that. If you if you were good at everything, how on earth would you know what to do with your life? Because you'd have no no comparison to make that said, well, actually, I'm good at this, but I'm not so good at that. Therefore, I'm going to do this because you know that obviously is comes naturally to me. And this pressure to succeed at everything with with no recognition of identifying your particular strengths and really developing those and not beating yourself up for the things that you're not good at because that's the way you're built. You're built with a purpose that has certain gifts and abilities and somebody else will have the ones that you aren't good at. So that whole culture to me is very destructive in terms of people's self-esteem. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And and the, the question that comes up for me is, you know, to be good at everything, well, for what purpose? Mm. Because what's the result that you're trying to achieve by being the straight-A student or being the top performer? Uh, maybe there's some financial success, but often it's more about our ego um, as being the best at something. And so what is it that has you strive to be the best at something? And what is it? what are you seeking to prove for yourself? I think that's a really important question to be looking at as well. Yes, and and unfortunately the ego of parents can come into this as well, can't it, of wanting their child to be the best and really putting pressure on, and I've seen a lot of that as well. So um, what do you think stops people from being vulnerable? I think... There's what I've identified for myself and the, the high performers that I work with. There's a couple of main ones. So perfection. So we've talked about that a bit already, like the perfection of wanting to do everything right and to a detail that requires, you know, that maybe you work an extra hour than you really needed to to make sure it's flawless rather than, um, you know, send it off as as it is and you've checked it over and whatnot. I think that's a stop for people being vulnerable. They want to have that perfect image. They want to show that they can do everything well and really, really right. Um, I think control stops people from being vulnerable. So I think there's an element of vulnerability that actually uh, is in the unknown, and you don't know what's going to happen when you open your heart or when you risk something about yourself when you tell a loved one. Um, and so there's an element of not knowing what's going to happen, but doing it because you know it's right for you. And when we seek to control everything around us, I think that's also an expression of how we control what we say and how we say things for specific and uh, intended results. So I think control also stops people from being vulnerable in some cases. Mm, definitely. And I think performance. Yes. And yeah, the last one, performance, where it's like, you know, you it's similar to the perfection piece of wanting to be seen as someone who's a top achiever and really great at what they do um, without showing any quote unquote weakness or places where they're uh, not as strong in the work that they do. Yeah, it's a really good point now because. Um... You know, so much now as well in the education system is based on can you pass a test or not versus real quality of education and, the, you know, the absorption and the understanding. And I think, again, it's using very superficial measures um, in the workplace as well that perhaps don't really represent the quality of the contribution that people make to the organization. Mm-hmm. 
And it actually goes back perfectly to that example we talked about earlier about the being versus doing. So you can check off like, oh, I got straight A's. I graduated on, you know, honors with distinction. I'm valedictorian. And it's checking off the things that you're doing. But who are you being in those moments? What's the being that you want to bring to leadership? What's the being that you want to bring to your relationship at home? Um, and who are you? Who are you in that role versus what you've accomplished in that role? Definitely, it comes back to the original point about the connection, doesn't it? Because you get if you get so caught up in that individual performance, then you you don't make those connections. I know from my experience in in management and leadership, people, the managers who were absolutely obsessed with their own performance were terrible to work for because they they in effect created a blame culture and a and an um an atmosphere of competitiveness instead of one of teamwork and collaboration and i know i had um people joining my team who had been scapegoats in some cases for projects that didn't go as they should have done and yet given the right uh support encouragement mentoring actually excelled because they were in, a, in an environment where they didn't feel threatened. And I think this is this is the issue we have in a lot of organizations, that people are so concerned with their own performance, they're actually working in opposition to their team members rather than in um, cooperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you've just made about how when we're when we're not being vulnerable, it almost silos us from the people, you know, for example, in the workplace. And so when you have the a culture based on perfection, performance, control, it becomes you get disconnected from your colleagues and then there's more pressure about when, okay, well what happens when something goes wrong? Who's to blame? And then there's all the walls and defenses come up and it can impact employee performance, um, team performance, and the bottom, I mean, tons of, like you mentioned earlier, stress, and kind of get this corporate culture that's really unhealthy and actually isn't producing the results that it could be should people actually have that collaborative environment where it's okay to make mistakes, where you can talk to your boss about like, hey, I'm really struggling with this, with this report right now, or I'm really struggling with getting this proposal written. Can you support me? Yes, absolutely. So what's the benefit for people if they do practice vulnerability? Mm -hmm. You know, I really believe that it's liberation, like freedom of the soul. Because when you can be comfortable with yourself and go to someone like, hey, I'm really struggling with this right now, can you support me? Not only is it a gift when you reach out to the other person, because generally that person, you know, going to reach back and be like, wow, yeah, like I would love to help you. Um, but it's also just this freedom of restriction. And I find that the people that um, aren't practicing vulnerability, there's all these secret rules and ways of actions they have to take in order to manage their defenses and who others are perceiving them to be. And it takes a lot of energy. And when we can shed that and we can let our walls down and be who we are and literally just be and do what we're meant to be doing, there's so much freedom in that. So, so much freedom. Like the full expression you can create from who you are as opposed to who you're trying not to be. And there's so much more possibility. Yeah, and it it basically comes down to fear, doesn't it? It's fear of rejection Mm -hmm. and fear of of criticism, isn't it, that's at the, the root of this. And, you know, it's not just in the workplace, it's also in relationships as well. I know that, um, you know, if you're afraid that your partner will really discover who you are, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of fear in relationships about, well, if they knew what I was really like, they wouldn't love me anymore. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, actually being able to be open about feelings and um, you know issues that you have and your own particular fears and that that we all are here to work through once you're able to do that 
the fear of rejection goes away because it's out there, isn't it? <laughs> if you haven't been rejected for that particular thing, that means you're not going to be, or at least not by the people that are really important. Yeah, and I think that that's a huge um, block to people being vulnerable is the fear of rejection. Absolutely. And when we think about it in personal relationships, like, oh, do I divulge to them, you know, this piece about myself that I'm carrying some shame about? And then we try, you know, there's sort of a visual person. So if we imagine this ball of shame kind of over our heart, and then we put all these layers on top of it to protect us from showing that shame. And so whether we show it as perfection, like, oh, I'm really good at this because don't look over here at this. Or, hey, um, I'm going to really please you and work to meeting your needs because I'm really afraid that you don't see who I really am and I want you to meet me. Like there's all these different strategies that come out to avoid this fear that we've covered up and protected of being alone or being rejected. I think that's a huge uh, piece that prevents true connection and deep connection between people. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm interested to know, Christian, how do you identify your um, target market, as it were, to use a business term, in terms of, you know, um, connecting up with the high achievers, the executives? What is it that actually draws them to you? Is there a particular message that you put out there? Um, Because it's obviously when you're connecting with these clients, they're in that position of um, needing to look perfect. So even coming to you for help is a major step, is it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And um, my answer for that is actually that normally I meet my clients or I have a conversation with them. And one of the things about my being is that I'm a very um, safe space to land. So who I am is is a space where people can say things that they don't normally say. And I've been told that many times over by my clients that, you know, oh, I'm telling you this, and I've never told anyone this before. So it's funny because there's not actually really a strategy or formula I have. It's actually being who I am and, and having conversations with these people that allows them to bring down the wall and start opening up to me and see that there's a partnership available and what might be in it for them to to do the work. Mm. So it's really that um, relationship building and that rapport mm-hmm. creation, isn't it, in, in those conversations that give people the confidence to open up and, and admit to how they're really feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's never resonated with me to do really specific marketing communications and um, and specific messaging because it feels a bit unnatural to me. And so generally, it's just really heartfelt conversations that I have with people. Like, tell me who you really are. And it's actually a demonstration of vulnerability and connection because so often leadership roles can be lonely because you're the one at the top making the decisions. And for someone to actually hold space for you and look at you or speak to you and be like, what's going on for you can be a huge, huge gift in itself, let alone any coaching or work that we do together. Yes, indeed. And I think that goes for um, entrepreneurs as well as executives in, in business because, mm-hmm. you know, again, they, they don't have – um, a circle of, of support necessarily uh, working on their own so actually having somebody who they can open up to and use as a sounding board as well is a really great benefit to them I think yeah absolutely I think that everyone I mean we talk about connection and um, like you said entrepreneurial roles can also be very lonely and having those people around you that you can that can support you and um, call you forward and reflect your best to you is absolutely critical in success in my opinion and um, when we talk about connection and even entrepreneurs you know you that's a place where you hear those adages of like hustle hustle harder 
And, you know, you got to, if you have a startup, you have to work 24 hours a day for the first two years. And so those things we've already identified as being inhibitors to connection because you're just busy and, and not actually present in the moment. And so it's actually that critical piece to have other people around you when you're in that phase to have that connection, to have that support. Yes, and I had an interesting discussion with last week's guest, Nikki White, who um, she quite correctly pointed out that with all this emphasis on social media now, that we get a very false impression of people, that there's this um, image put out there on, on people's profiles and everything about you know all the successes I'm doing really well at this and I'm doing really well at that and it makes people look as though they're doing really well and you can feel as though oh I'm not doing anywhere near as well as that there must be something wrong with me I'm doing something wrong and yet um, I mean I've spoken to people with thousands of Facebook likes on their on their page and yet they're not creating the the clients they're not attracting the clients even with that amount of following so it's very misleading to to look at other people on social media and and think that you're not doing as well as everybody else and that in itself can make you feel um as though there's something lacking in you that other people seem to have off to off pat you know off to a fine art do you think that's a a contributor to how people feel about themselves Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. I mean, that that happens to me as well. There's for sure some people on my Facebook, when I read what they're up to, I'm like, man, I gotta do, I've got to do better. Like, look what they're up to. I've got to go do something. And I'm at the place now where I'm like, oh, that's my self-defense of my performance kicking in. <laughs> How about mm-hmm. I just actually come back into myself? Um, but I think it's a huge uh, piece of disconnection in our society because everybody's just like, oh, look how great my life is. Look at this vacation. Look at this success. Look at this. And the conversation that we're not having is this is where I'm really struggling or this is where it's really hard for me um, or this is really making me sad right now or I'm going through a really tough time. And I think it's really important and I try and actually do that in my writing and on my Facebook feed, it's not all just roses and fairy tales. It's like, this is some of the hard stuff. This is some of the, um, some of the things that were really vulnerable for me that I, that I went through because I believe in, in connection as the foundation of us building um, happy and passionate and successful lives. And, I, and having those conversations and putting those out there, it's like, you know, you see someone and they've written how they're struggling and it's almost like you take a deep breath and you're like great I'm not the only one and it's through those conversations that we actually build ourselves up yeah absolutely and I must say you know in my um, earlier days before I got into personal development and really starting to explore that I used to think well you know why is everybody else seems to be so um, confident and competent and doesn't seem to get hung up on these things that they feel they can't do and it when I realized that everybody has some element of of, um, anxiety and self-esteem issues and and those kind of personal concerns it was like oh thank goodness for that you know it's not just me after all and it, it does make you relax and and think I thought it was just me that felt that way. But actually, it's not. Everybody has it to some extent, no matter how perfect their life might seem on the surface. I mean, look at the disastrous personal lives that a lot of these, you know, Hollywood movie stars have. I mean, absolute disaster. And yet, if you were to look at them from a superficial, you know, success in the in the movie business side of things, you'd think they had it all. But actually, in other aspects, they're a complete mess. So... We all have different areas of of um, anxieties, maybe not the word, but can you know that we all have our issues to work through, and we just have different ones to other people, and perhaps they're not as visible to us as um, as they might be. So we kind of assume a perfection <laughs> syndrome in other people, mm-hmm. and and really. Uh, c- we 
criticize ourselves for not being the perfect person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's exactly what you just said, is that we look for imperfections in other people to then be like, oh, right, it's not, I, I'm okay. I'm not as bad as this person or whatever it is. And there's this like, subtle distinction of, you know, looking at watching, you know, the the new shows that show people's reality TV lives or reading the gossip magazines. And we get this validation that, okay, they're not perfect. So it's okay that I'm not perfect. And it's, but it's still from like a disconnected place or like a judgmental, there's like a judgment in it. And to actually shift it to be like, to that connected place where you're with a close friend or your partner or someone you trust and you can be like, Hey, I'm really struggling. And they go, Hey, me too. Or like, I really get that. And they can be with you. And that's the space that we actually get to release the shame about ourselves and find that deeper connection. And it's funny because we do it all over the place. We look for places to release those shame of who we are, but without actually the vulnerability it takes to talk about ourselves. We just look at other kind of external areas and be like, oh, okay, well, they're not doing that well, so it's okay where I am. Mm, yeah, kind of as a comfort factor. So. Mm-hmm. Want to practice being more vulnerable. Um, where do I start? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, I mean, I'm a big fan of her, Brene Brown. She's got a TED Talk. I think that's a really good place to start the conversation for yourself. And then start looking at where you, what you don't want people to know about you. And even just writing down a list. And start to identify where you're holding the shame about who you are, if you're not good enough or what the fear is. And have a conversation with someone you really trust. And start at a low gradient. Maybe it's like the thing that you're like, oh, I don't really want people to know me about this, but I'm not going to die if I tell anybody. <laughs> um, you're probably not going to die if you tell anything. But regardless, like start with a low gradient and start confiding in your friends. Start having these conversations with people about like, hey, I could really use your help or ask for something. Um, You know, if you have a tough time asking for help, even ask someone to buy you coffee, you know, like really low gradient. And that can actually be really difficult for people. Um, But start somewhere small and start asking for help or start um, having those one-on-one conversations with people where you sit and you look at someone in the eye and you ask them, like, how are you doing? And that would be, I think, the space to start being vulnerable. Yes, I think that's a very good um, suggestion, actually, and um, it does it does prompt other people to share where they're feeling vulnerable. As you, as you said, you know, when you can sit down with a friend. I know as a coach myself, um, it helps tremendously for my clients to hear my personal experiences that are similar to what they're going through, because that gives them the the, the confidence, if you like, that they're not alone in the challenges that they're facing. And I think that in itself gives gives them a huge feeling of relief. Um, and the same with the conversations that we would have with a friend. So, yeah, really good suggestion. Um, and I really love, what I really love about that is a reminder for the people that, you know, are coaches or who have done a lot of work and who practice vulnerability on a regular basis actually make that part of the dialogue that they have you know on their Facebook or in the world even with their clients on whatever level it is to start having more of those conversations and modeling that it's not weakness modeling that that's the foundation of connection so I think that's a really good really good point you just made Mm, definitely Um, and yeah I think there's also that difference between perhaps what you might share in private between um between with a friend or a client and, and what you might actually put on on facebook because you know the i think the thing with social media is that it can attract um some quite negative conversations um i mean i've i've seen threads that i literally kind of withdraw from energetically because of the negative energy that comes out because there are people who will be judgmental who will try and um, perhaps put negative comments or 
even well-meaning comments, but which are not very constructive. So, again, I think it's about being selective in the way you share it and who you share it with. Would you agree with that? Yes and no. Um, I think that absolutely if you're practicing vulnerability and it's something really difficult for you, starting at like a public Facebook post is probably a really high gradient and um, and may not be the spot, um, especially if it's something that you're currently working through. Uh, absolutely. Then those things I think are best done more in private with people that you care about and who you can trust. And I think that a part of vulnerability in having distinguished it and not being in it anymore, not being in that really vulnerable space, when we put it out in the world or talk about it in a way like, wow, I really felt not good enough in a scenario, and someone responds back that, like, you know, some troll, to actually have the um, awareness that that's them getting really defensive about what they're probably not good enough as, and it's difficult because you're open, your your heart's open, your walls are down, and it's you know you have someone responding back to you, but to actually know that it's nothing about you, it's just their reaction to what you're sharing, I think is a really important piece of this because we don't do vulnerability in order to get a result. We are vulnerable in order to find connection with other people um, or to be able to be connected to ourselves or have connection with other people. So... Um, I really think that when we do it, we're like, oh, we're avoiding having something. I think that's the that's a wrong intention in doing it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, um, again, I think we've got a degree of agreement here, interestingly, uh, Kristen, because um, I think the point is not a fear of other people's judgment so much or thinking that you, they're opinion is about me um, in inverted commas you know about the person who shared it but it's more about a sensitivity to the energy and I think that's the thing I was really getting at and you know there are particularly when you're in that uh, conscious approach you and you've done the work on really getting in in connection with yourself I find I've become more and more sensitive to energy and it's just sometimes the energy of these threads just feels like a real energy drain to me. It's like what we call the energy vampire mm-hmm. syndrome where it's like this is just taking all the energy away from me because I'm picking up on the energy of the, the group. Does that make sense? So it's not it's not the fear mm-hmm. of what being said it's the sensitivity to the energy of of Mm -hmm. what's being said yeah yeah absolutely and I think it's really important for us to be aware of our own where we get our energy and where it you know I don't often go down and read the comment sections (laughs) on posts when it's getting really um heavy or where there's a lot of um troll troll action (laughs) um precisely because that and so what would you say that what would your advice be for people who are open to being vulnerable you know online but maybe concerned about trolls or uh, people who disagree again I think I think it's a, a, a case of tuning into your intuition really um how would it feel to you to share that and and do you feel that you're in an environment with trusted friends online that have your best interests at heart and perhaps it's also about setting your um, visibility to the right level because I know personally I've had some interesting (laughs) attack personal attacks even from friends of friends who I have no um, experience of at all, no knowledge of, but because of the settings, they've been able to, to comment on my posts. So, you know, it might be a case of really just 
checking what the visibility is and keeping it limited to your your just your direct friends rather than friends of friends and that way you know a you know the people that are going to be interacting with you and you know sometimes we have to unfriend people don't we if if they're not really in alignment with us and um congruent with us so it's almost a filtering process as well to know i mean i know i have a circle of friends on facebook which is not that big a group but i know we may not agree on everything but it'll always be done in the right spirit and so by um you know keeping those conversations within that group i mean let's face it you wouldn't go into a, a coffee shop and start um airing all your <laughs> um vulnerability issues indiscriminately with the people that just happen to be there and and social media is rather the same really if you if your posts are open um to too wide an audience it's just like doing that going into a coffee shop and announcing it to the world at large mm-hmm. there is um there's something in what you're saying there's like a being with it and i and i totally get it at the same time like there's certain things um, that I probably wouldn't announce to a coffee shop. I miss, but there's probably things that I'm currently working through or like in the moment feeling really a lot of shame or vulnerability about. And I would have no problem going and speaking to a group of people and saying like, and talking about things that are vulnerable to me. Um, so talking about like, hey, when I, you know, this is something that makes me feel not good enough. And to talk about those things that that impact me um and i think that like there's there's something in what we make it mean about ourselves to say those things that is that gets in the way and it and it may come back to that like believing that it shows a weakness or believing that um whatever it is that it makes you who whoever it makes you by saying those things like there's something that you're that we're making it mean if we don't want to tell people about it yes i think there is that but i think also there is the 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 process of discernment is the word really in terms of audience um you know some of the beliefs that i have some of the knowledge that i've gathered um, in my studies, particularly the metaphysical, and I know this is digressing a bit from the personal side of it, but I wouldn't share some of the things that I've learned in front of some people because it is too far from their um, belief system for them to even consider as a possibility. And so, it, it, again, it's not about not feeling that you can share certain things. It's also um, a recognition of that other person involved in in that process and um, considering what that reaction is likely to be. And just as you were saying earlier about the, the way that you connect with clients, they they are being selective about who they're willing to share with because they feel an element of trust. And I think it's no different to what we would share in any other circumstance. Can I trust the people that I'm sharing this with? Can I trust them to receive it in the right spirit? And if it's going to be used in a way that is, um, again, back to this competitive um, environment it's where something is used against you then actually you're doing yourself a disservice and it's nothing to do with you it's it's about how the other person is going to use that information does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah and i think that there's um like there's no right or wrong way to deal to to be vulnerable and i and it's cool because i think this is a distinction um you know, again, trying to put it into scenarios for people to understand, 
we get into like, okay, well, is this the okay time to be vulnerable? And is this okay time to be vulnerable and with who? And really the conversation comes back to that. Like, who are you being when you're being vulnerable? Are you being vulnerable because you're looking for um, a reaction or is it a genuine expression to connect with someone? And using our own intuition and knowledge and what feels right in the scenario is the ultimate guide to when we do it and to whom. Mm, yeah. I think that's uh, that's something we can definitely both agree on wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So what's the best advice you can give people who are feeling disconnection in their life? Mm-hmm. You know, I really think that um, if you have that feeling of loneliness, to really look at who you can go and speak to, um, and whether it be someone professional, whether it be a therapist, or whether it be a coach, um, to start that, that process of uncovering it, because you don't have to be lonely. And there's so many people, I, like, I actually truly believe that we are, like connection is one of the fundamental things that we seek for happiness and joy in our lives. And that it exists everywhere. Um, and so to, to really start seeing where you can access connection, even on the basic level. So start a conversation with someone on the bus or at a restaurant or wherever it is. And start just getting curious about people. So, you know, talk to the person who's serving you. Ask them a few questions about their life. Or if you're on public transportation, you know, talk to someone next to you like what book are they reading or where are they going and 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 you be open to trying multiple times so someone may not want to talk to you and that's fine but start reaching out and having connection and then looking for what what do I actually want in my life so is it a partner is I want better communication with a partner am I single and I want to have that love in my life and start defining like how is it that what do I want and what's the first step that I need to take in order to get it that would be my advice. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's excellent. So what resources are available for people if they need further support? You know, I think there is um, there's different books. I mean, there's coaches, there's live people, which is the best way to practice connection <laughs> is actually reaching out to a live person. Um, and so a coach, a therapist, um, I think, you know, I've mentioned Brene Brown's work. She has a number of different books, and she has a TED Talk. Those can be great spaces, uh, places to start. Um, and maybe I'll send you, there's a couple um, books. There's one called Undefended Love by um, Jet um, Pesaris. I'm probably butchering that last name, but P-S-A-R-I-S. Um, and Marlena Lyons. Um, that's a really great way to start about looking at our own ways and how we block connection and love and how we can break through those to create it in our lives. Excellent. Well, thank you, Kristen. We're coming to the end of the show. Um, so I'd like to now give you the opportunity to share with our listeners how they can get in touch with you and perhaps explore more of the vulnerability issues and disconnection issues they have with you. So would you like to share how they can people can get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I do private coaching for I have a limited amount of clients that I take on for that. And I have uh, some space opening up mid-November. And so they can send me an email. It's probably the best way to do it, um, which is kristen at kristenprice.ca, which is kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, at kristenprice.ca. And the best way for us to uh, get in contact is to have an initial conversation. Um, tell me what you want to achieve, what resonated with you from, from what I said, and then we'll have an hour-long conversation, get to know each other, see if it's the right fit. Excellent. And um, for our listeners, there are full details of how to contact Kristen on the show notes. So not only her website, but also where she can be found on social media as well. So Kristen, it's been lovely to have this discussion i really appreciate you being on the show and sharing so much great information with us and you know how people can um learn to be vulnerable and actually free themselves to be themselves that's a really great 
um, concept that so many people need very much these days. So thank you for being on the show. Oh, and thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. I love this conversation. And, um, yeah, I'm so grateful for being able to be a part of your show. Thank you. Lovely. Well, thank you, Kristen. And thank you for listening. And we hope you've enjoyed the show as much as Kristen and I have enjoyed talking. Uh, We'll be broadcasting every week with more expert guests talking about all aspects of conscious living. So to avoid missing any episodes, please follow us on Blog Talk Radio or visit the radio show page at asmilingworldmedia.com where you can listen to our latest shows and sign up to receive news of upcoming shows by email. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash powerful people and join our Conscious Living Club group at facebook.com as well and just uh, do a search for Conscious Living Club and I'm sure you'll find us okay. So lovely to have you with us and uh, I'm going to hand back over to Bill now to close the show. Okay, thank you, Jan. And a reminder, the Conscious Living Show is brought to you by Jan and Bill Moore of A Smiling World. And we provide coaching, training, and events on personal empowerment, conscious evolution, conscious business development, and the universal laws of success. To find out more about our coaching, workshops, and online courses, and to get your free copy of Dream Achiever Success Kit, Go to asmilingworld.org, and if you're building or planning to build a conscious business, you will find a wealth of free resources at successfrequency.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for more expert interviews, tips, and tools on conscious living. And now we will close with the Beach Boys from their 50th anniversary album, Good Vibrations. Sing along, it's alright? Gotta keep those love good vibrations.